Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, Operation History, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. Welcome to August, everyone. Guys, it's we're eight months into the year. This is scary, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, tonight, the digital table is filled. We have all four guests. We have Derek. Hey, yo. We have Lauren. Hi. And we can't forget about the queen of mouse, Maria herself. Only I got a formal introduction. So thank you for that, Dave. I appreciate that. Hello. Well, minus the aneurysm you had earlier when we were talking trash on the mouse, I felt like I needed to do some of the booster ego a little bit. That was really because nice, it wasn't. Actually. It was very nice. I actually really appreciate it, but it's only because it wasn't true. But anyway, enough of that. I'll think of I'll think of official titles and intros for everyone else later. <laughs> that's, that's Thanks. Ac- acronyms and handles are to come in next month's episode. Please stay tuned. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back on track. So tonight is a very special episode because tonight's episode is going to be guided by the one, the only, the King of the Pacific, Derek. Yeah. Did, did I just make up for my bumblings earlier? I, I guess so. I don't know why I'm the king of the Pacific now. <laughs> Are you? Because That's you like your Pacific history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know that I like got a monarch title over it, though. I, I thought I needed some like ritual combat or something, but I mean, I, didn't I know just it was easily bestowed. We, we can I, we can schedule your, you know, your trial by okay. death. I mean, okay. I just called Maria the queen of the mouse. So that's true. That's true. But that's just true. <laughs> that is true. So, Derek, the okay. floor is now all yours. Okay. Well, everyone, hello out there. Uh, today, we're going to be going through a nice little story. This story pertains to banana republics. Uh, we're going to be looking at banana republics mostly through the lens of a single individual. Our story starts in 19, uh, 1890s. Uh, uh, there's a young man that is from the former Russian Empire uh, living over in Selma, Alabama. His name is Samuel Zamuri. This young man is quite the entrepreneur. He works many different jobs over his life, trying to make an honest buck. A lot of things attempted, but not a lot of things worked. Until a very strange encounter in his life. At a market in Selma, Alabama, in the late 1890s, this young man from Russia sees a very exotic thing. A banana. This is not something very often seen within the heartland of America, because as many people are aware, without proper transportation and refrigeration, bananas, as I'm sure all of you know, ripen quite quick. They don't usually stay fresh very quick. So in the days of old wooden sailing ships and no refrigeration, not very easy to get a 
a bunch of bananas uh, in your local grocery market. So Zamuri was kind of off, off put by this. He says, oh, this is a very exotic fruit. It must fetch a hefty price. And it, it did because it was considered an exotic delicacy. It was something that not every person could afford. There used to be a lot of plantations across the Central, uh, Latin, and uh, South America because it was a huge area that these uh, fruits and many other different crops could grow. The thing is, around this time started two very big things that kicked all of those plantations into gear. The invention of refrigeration and the invention of faster ships. Once you put a actual uh, coal or steam-fed engine on a boat and refrigeration, the world is your oyster. You can bring bananas anywhere you want into the world. And for young Samuel Zamuri, he saw dollar signs. There are three major players of this banana trade that we're going to talk about today. You have the Cuyamel Fruit Company, the United Fruit Company, and the Vaccaro Bros. Cuyamel, small little company founded in 1902 and 1910, purchased by Samuel, the Banana Man, Zamuri. That is not my nickname for him. That is his nickname that he earned by amassing a fortune from transporting cheap bananas that he'd buy at the ports by train into towns that would never have had them otherwise. He started with over around $100 in his pocket that amassed more than a fortune of over 100000 in the 1800s money, which, if those of you don't know inflation rates, he was kind of loaded at that point. He was doing pretty well for himself. The thing is, Cuyamel was the smallest of the three companies, but it was run by one of the most ambitious people. The other two uh, combatants in the uh, banana trade down there was United Fruit Company, formed in 1899, when the Boston Fruit Company kind of took over a lot of the smaller uh, surrounding fruit companies. They saw the market for bananas and they said, we want in. Lastly, you have the Vaccaro Bros. You have three uh, Sicilian Americans who decided that they wanted to go ahead and get into the banana business after a severe freeze caused their orange groves in New Orleans to actually um, completely get destroyed. Uh, they decided that there were gonna there was probably some money to be made within the banana trade, so they switched from oranges to bananas. All three of these companies have a long lasting effect on the central and southern parts of america that we are going to talk about today um many of those different companies had what is called a vertical monopoly there's two different types of monopolies there's a horizontal which could be multiple companies making one product and selling it at a store or vertical, which is also called a chain monopoly, where you have every part of a process and you own every part. 
that's exactly what they had. They were able to grow the bananas, they were able to ship the bananas, and they were able to sell the bananas all within one company. Which, if you don't understand that, that maximizes your profit to a ridiculous amount. So these people, including Samuels and Murray, was living quite like Scrooge McDuck. He was doing quite well. Uh, you don't get the nickname the Banana Man for nothing. Derek, Derek, Our story. Hang oh, on yeah. one second, Derek. I just want to jump in. So you said 1902 was when Zamuri. Yep. So just really quickly, I jumped on Google because I was curious. Yep. So 100000 and this jumps off of what you were saying about that monopoly. Yep. $100,000 in 1902 is $3,159,255.81 in today's day. So, uh, Holy that was before, yeah, that was, that was before. Yeah. He, he did that selling cheap bananas that he bought that were, you know, you know, when bananas start to go a little bit yellow and you're like, Oh no, it's going to ripen within the next day. He mm -hmm. would buy those at the port and then transport them by rail super cheap to the closest town and sell them on bulk for a higher price. So he earned that just going back and forth doing that. And he amassed a quite literal small fortune doing that where he bought Cuyamel. Our story starts here because that's just the setup. It gets so much more wild from there. <laughs> Our story starts in 1910. In Honduras. Government of Honduras at that point wasn't doing too well. Uh, they were under a large amount of debt that they owed to the United Kingdom. They wished to get rid of their debt without recurring, uh, occurring any repercussions from it. So they go ahead and uh, ask the United States to step in and act as a negotiator for a treaty. They go through with a treaty that has members of the J.P. Morgan Bank coming in and stepping in as tax collectors, making sure that taxes are collected that would equal up to the debts that are owed. Fucking J.P. Morgan. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I have to say. Oh, <laughs> don't you worry. It, if you're feeling like that already, just get ready, because there is so much more to this. No. At the same time... Uh, Honduras is also wanting to make sure its infrastructure stays well. But as I previously mentioned, they're under mountains upon mountains of debt. They cannot afford to do anything. So they go to the Vaccaro Bros, that, that little uh, company that I told you about. They go to them and say, hey, if we give you a large swath of land where you can make plantations, we will give this to you for free on one chance that you will start building roads within our country. You build the roads, you get the land. Vaccaro bros say, that's no problem at all. Of course, we want that. They go ahead with that deal. Both of those things happening at the same time, Zamuri was angry because first off he wanted that land that he gave to his competitor 
And second off, he knew that those taxes were going to hurt his business. He moved his companies over to Honduras because it was cheap to use plantations there at that point. And he knew that once the JP Morgan bankers came in, his company would be gone. So to save his business, Zamuri did what any rational person would do in his situation. Hire a mercenary army to overthrow a government. I think it's what every normal person would do. Isn't that how you conduct all your business arrangements? Well, of course. Yeah, yeah you know, if you have an outstanding bill at, like, a Chili's, you hire, like, a couple thugs, and, you know, you just walk out of there. That's it. That's, That's exactly all. how just it works. Work out. You're not paying that bill. <laughs> America! <laughs> so, so, Murray started talking with uh, Lee Christmas, who, awesome name, first off, like, that's, yeah. that's just a really cool name. Uh, he was a mercenary for hire uh, operating in Honduras and Guatemala who had been the, I believe, the chief of police for the entirety of Honduras for a while under the former president who Zamuri was also talking to. Uh, the man's name is Manuel Bonilla. Um, they were talking about uh, the possibility of bringing Bonilla back into power by kind of just slightly overthrowing the Honduran government. I see a pattern. And guess what? Place. It happened. Oh no. All of a sudden, a dictatorship rises up in the middle of Honduras with Bonilla at the actual helm of it. And for some strange reason, after Bonilla was inaugurated uh, February 1st, 1912, Zamuri and Cuyamel got a lot of favorable tax breaks and a lot of land concessions. It's really strange how those things coincide, you know? You want me to pretend to be surprised? Because I can't. Yeah, you know, it, it, it would help me. <gasps> oh my Whoa, god! People can no just... way! Oh, I know, right? I did not see that coming <laughs> at all. I've never heard anything like this before. And I wish... That was the end of our story, but no, no, my friends, it only gets better. <laughs> because better of those course. concessions, oh yes, of 100%. Because of those concessions, Honduras really now could not focus on investment in any type of infrastructure. When you are cutting tax breaks to the people who pretty much give you the most of your tax income, you're not going to be able to afford anything. So they became reliant on the fruit companies for any type of infrastructure. It's exactly as the East India Company did with railways, that as long as those companies would benefit from it, the Honduran government would see roads built, power lines, new ports and uh, train yards. There would be a wealth of new things. Same thing with Ex gold, diamonds. Oh, rock. yes. 100%. Except for the living wages of the people. Your average Honduran was making not even a livable wage while your wealthiest one percent was really doing well because those fruit companies were paying them off saying hey the next time our little 
election goes on, you'll just go ahead and vote for us. And they did time and time again. It's very crazy how that happens. We are going to talk about Zamuri again, because Zamuri is at the forefront of this whole little narrative. After his little overthrow, he just kept getting richer and richer and richer. His pockets were filling with green, even though he was selling all those nice little yellow bananas. He was doing so well that it started impeding on the main rival, which is United Fruit Company. And around 1929, United, with pressures from him as well as a couple things, gave him an offer saying, we will buy your company out. You can go off into retirement a happy man, never having to worry about a thing in your life ever again. Let us buy you out. And he took it. He sold Kuyamel to the United Fruit Company for 300,000 shares in their company, which each United Fruit stock in 1929 was $158. That roughly adds up to about $47 million in that time. Hold he on. became I'm, I'm, wait, in that time. Yeah, wait, hold on. I'm I coming. was already. Sh- oh my god! He, he became wild man. nearly instantly. <laughs> he became nearly instantly one of the richest people in America. He also was given a seat on the board of directors, but the man just said, "Well, <laughs> I'm sitting pretty." Why would I care about anything else right now? I'm going to go retire. Let's see. Let's let's wait for a second. Uh we'll, we'll uh 158, 158. times 300,000. All right, so $158 in 1929 today is worth $2,510.41. So now okay, what would So 2,510? Yep, and 41 cents. Realistically, Zamuri had in his repertoire, if he so wished to sell all those shares, around $753 million worth of shares. Nice. Quite literally, one of the most richest people within America at that point. But the keen, keen eared people out there will catch a very, very important part of that. I said that it was 300,000 shares of their stock for $158 in the year 1929. Oh, no. That's when it was sold. Oh, no. Within a single year of him. Selling, it kind of plummeted quite quickly. 
due to a couple little events that went on during that time. By 1932, the stock was only worth $10 a piece. From the Great Depression and the leadership of the company, it plummeted. Zamuri being himself despised the leadership. And he marched directly to the board to show how angry he was. The person in charge uh, actually uh, was going on account by mocking uh, how he could not understand what Zamuri was saying. Zamuri had spoke with a very thick Russian accent, and he he had kind of mocked him, and this even furthered uh, Zamuri's kind of rage at this company to the point where he had gathered enough proxies to just completely say, hey, I should probably be in a leadership position here. And they created a small part of that company that would be uh, a managerial uh, systems of operations until 1938 when he was just given the entire presidential part of the company because yeah when you mess with Samuri, you don't go too far so to recap he bought out Kuyamel with his small banana fortune that he had got from selling cheap bananas on trains united fruit company bought out his company and then he just became the president of the company that had bought out his company. What a the man is known by the name Banana Man for a reason. And then it comes to this, which this one, even crazier. 1944, Guatemala. There is a small revolution that hits Guatemala to overthrow the dictator, Jorge Ubico. They don't want him in that anymore. So they democratically elect Juan Jose Arevalo, who immediately starts countrywide reforms to make sure the, uh, the fruit companies are kind of held at bay and not having complete control over the government. He institutes minimum wage reforms, institutes healthcare reforms all of these things costing those companies more if you institute a minimum wage for a fruit company that's treating most of its people like slaves they actually have to pay them which they didn't like they hoped that his successor would be a little bit more lenient he was not yakabo arbenz who became the next uh, leader of Guatemala, really continued on with this, saying, yeah, these companies are only hurting us right now. We need to stand up against them. If anything, I would hope all of you have learned that standing against uh, Samuel Zamuri and Bananas, probably not the smartest opposition. Because... The fruit companies as a whole, including United, led by Samuel Zamuri, and the Vaccaro Bros, 
started a narrative that they had pitched to many different people that Guatemala was becoming a foothold for the Soviet Union in the Americas. That socialism was starting to spread into our beloved part of the world. And if it was was not snuffed out now, it would spread even into the heartland of the USA. Oh, where have I heard this before? (laughs) Eventually, this narrative gets picked up by people in the very high chains of command of the United States. In 1952, there is an operation by the CIA that is greenlit by Harry S. Truman to start a possible coup. It's quickly thrown out because they realize "Eh, this isn't going to work right now. 1954, Operation PB Success. CIA operation that is greenlit by Dwight D. Eisenhower himself. The United States uses the CIA to overthrow a democratically elected leader of Guatemala in order to instill a dictator who is more lenient on the fruit companies. I've heard this story before. It's like every single thing that happened in the Cold War. Wow. So, but worse. the CIA arms the CIA arms, trains, and transports a group uh, that overthrows Arbenz um, and they used uh, United Fruit Company boats to transport all these fine old fellows directly where they needed to go. Uh, Carlos Castillo Armas uh, is the first dictator in a very long line of U.S.-backed dictators of Guatemala at that point, who's then immediately sent back Arben's labor and agrarian reforms, including that minimum wage law. Uh, And until 1996, Guatemala was completely under the control of U.S.-backed dictators. So it was until 1996, which that's a hard date to hear on that one. Um, And then as like a little final note, uh, right around uh, the 1950s, uh, good old Samuel Zamuri eventually said, "Ah, I'm out of the game. I've been in this game for quite a while. I'm good. He eventually retires one of the richest people in the world at that point. Everyone knows him as the Banana Man. And in in 1961, uh, his company, United Fruit, also did try to provide two ships for uh, the Bay of Pigs, uh, which, you know, kind of shows you what was happening in there if, if you know, the Bay of Pigs would have actually succeeded as a uh, operation. Little note uh, for those of you who aren't aware. Um, right towards the end of our story, I always find it enlightening because we we think of a lot of these companies and people as things of the past. The Vaccaro bros that we talked about a lot that had helped in a lot of these, these more nefarious acts uh, would be your Dole Fruit Company. So if you eat there dull fruit, that, that there it is. Um, and 
United uh, Fruit Company, the the one that was eventually taken over by Samuel Zamuri. That would be your famous Chiquita banana. Oh. There it is. That was my question. I was wondering if they I was going to say, where does Chiquita come in? But there it is. Chiquita yes. banana is United Fruit Company. Different name, same practice. It's <laughs> uh, so actually, I had found an article while researching for this uh, that apparently Chiquita was under a little bit of hot water for possibly funding some more right-wing groups within South America as of recent, not in the past. Uh, like how recent? You're, you're talking mid-2000s. Ooh. Spicy. Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, that's our wonderful little story about Banana Republics and why it it's kind of crazy that there's there's a lot of fruit companies that kind of could get anything they wanted all for the almighty banana. Uh, do we have any questions? I'll open it up for that. I have a comment. Um, first of all, holy shit. Um, but like you said, I mean, with the Dole, com I was actually talking to um, a coworker who was writing a grad paper on um, the pineapple industry in Costa Rica. And it's like, the same level of just like absolute tom fuckery like basically slave labor um and it's like super still under wraps because it's still going on like it's crazy definitely true definitely true i'm thinking of firestone um I don't know if Maria knows where I'm going with this, but Firestone, mm. the Firestone Company, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I can't, Maria, if you remember the country name, please throw up because I can't remember it. Um, but they have essentially control of an entire country. Actually, was it Liberia? Libya? Mm. No. Libya? Liberia. No, Liberia. You were Liberia. right. Liberia. Liberia. Um, because in that class, the lady president, um, mm -hmm try negotiating with Firestone in order to make rubber more, to give the workers of the rubber tree and those factories one better living condition since the, since the company is mm -hmm. in control of the towns that these workers are part of um, mm -hmm. and to get them really foot the bill on things that they have just gone against in the past. So I mean, it's just another existence of corporization taking control and not letting its teeth out so also yeah. i am blaming the banana on the reason for the cuban missile crisis because if we weren't there for bananas yeah. we would never have been there to begin with we would never have been there for the missile crisis we would never have to <laughs> put in batista so the cuban yeah. missile crisis blaming on the bananas <laughs> Honestly, you could trace it probably all the way back to Samuel Zamuri. If, if you really wanted to, you could probably blame the Cuban Missile Crisis, a lot of other things that happened within that entire region. I'm just picturing... Things even to, to this day of countries being destabilized, it's mostly due to that one man who just loved bananas. That's the last... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I'm just picturing him sitting next to Kenny. He'd be like, hey, listen, you can do this blockade, 
but make sure my bananas get there, okay? Make sure my bananas leave the country. As long as the banana trade keeps going, I don't care. But see, that's but that's the lasting effect of these colonial profit empires, whether it's tea, gold, rubber, uh bananas pineapples the destabilization that these countries are in today like you said you can follow it back like a trail to zamuri is that how you say his name zamuri yeah that is true yeah and it's it's like it's it's the same story and also dave uh just just a quick side note the president's name was ellen johnson sirleaf Um, i got you she was the president of Liberia. Kind of related, kind of, but just kind of going off of what you said, Maria. I mean, the East India Company still exists. Yeah, it does. You can still buy it's tea just... from them. Yep. It's like yeah. something that you think of so like <laughs> old, I guess, but it's, it's still around. It's still that's so eighteenth century. Sip your I mean... tea, sir. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it is. It is still around. It's it's like like Chiquita and Dole. Sometimes these companies change names and they evolve and then sometimes they don't, like East India Company, where they're just still around. And they're probably, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure they're doing some sketchy shit. I don't know. Why we, wouldn't yeah. they? I, don't know. <laughs> I, I would hope today that the laws are a little different for the East India Trading Company, but <laughs> I, I said hope. I said hope. I said hope. I would hope that things are a little different today, but with some I would hope shit, too. I'm I'm just I'm very sorry. cynical. Well, oh, uh, oh, honey, we're history majors. Cynical is what we do. Um, there's nothing that surprises me anymore at this point, or very little. But before I go and put uh, blame on East India Company without doing any kind of modern research, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna firing at them for their for modern day stuff but the stuff they did years ago oh oh yeah yeah let's uh point point and fire it will i just want to say as as we're talking about the banana wars and all that i'm just looking through i'm seeing i i found some pictures and i'll send the lawrence we can put them on the 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 page or whatever but like it's not just like little rifles it's not bolt action anything like there are some gatling guns in here oh yeah and things like that it's it's heavy duty military equipment it's like zamuri had used part of his that that huge fortune that he had amassed doing the that trade to fund that army that you're looking at that was funded by one man saying let me throw together this little entourage so we can go take over a country you never took uh 348 with our friend and once you take 348 it's the story of colonialization it just happens to be colonialization Mm -hmm. in africa but it's like I said, it's the same song, it's the mm-hmm. same dance, it's just in different parts of the world. Gatling guns, militaries, roads, oh, yeah. and villages, not for the people, for the products, and then nothing exists outside of these mm-hmm. company towns. You, mm-hmm. If you want to call them a company town, that's a very loose of kind course. of positive term almost compared to what they really were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sorry. I was gonna. I was just gonna go in with some sources here uh, of Do stuff it. that I had researched. Um, there's actually a really great. If you're talking about photographs, um, Harvard 
actually has a huge collection on United Fruit Company photographs. So you can see like them going through the process of like deforestation to like go make plantations to like all that stuff. It it is all captured on camera. It is it's hard to look at, but you can see that. Um, there's a couple good books that I had actually uh, looked at, and some of them had some like really good points. Some of them, you know, they, they, there's a little bit lacking that you know, as any good historian knows, you should you should use multiple sources to get your narrative. You shouldn't just uh, rely on one. Uh, first one would be Wild Company, uh, the Untold Story of Banana Republic. Uh, by Mel and Patricia Ziegler. Uh, second one, you have Bananas, How the United Fruit Company Shaped the World, by Peter Chapman. And lastly, The Fish That Ate the Whale, The Life and Times of America's Banana King, by Rich Cohen. A um, lot of really good stuff in there um, that really go in-depth on... Uh, a lot of the uh, very because even even by explanation, I left out some more of the graphic details of of overthrowing empires to uh, support a banana empire. Um, it's you mean they didn't do it through peaceful negotiations. Yeah, no, it wasn't all about peace and love. Oh darn! <laughs> uh, blah, blah. What were you gonna say before, Lauren? There we go. Wouldn't let me unmute. I just wanted to take back my cynicism um, because I Googled it and I, the absolute irony of the world is um, the East India Company is now owned by an Indian entrepreneur. See? Like and I said. Sanjib hey. And he bought it. He purchased it. It was like, it, you know, it went kind of off the books in like the eight, late 1800s, but he like literally bought the rights. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so again. Good. good. So I take Damn back it. my cynicism. I hope he does well and I will buy his tea. Right. See, that's what I mean. <laughs> we need to do our research. Definitely. That is the most important thing to do when talking about historical topics. Make sure that you're well-researched on it before you're <laughs> spouting off anything. Before you're running your mouth. Listen, Through that. I take back what I said. Oh, we know. We love you. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, how dare you spout your mouth at the East India yeah. Company? They've you never know. done anything wrong. As a colonial <laughs> historian. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> You would know absolutely nothing about what you were talking about. Come I never on. Do. <laughs> For those of you that can't see our faces right now, we are a hundred percent being sarcastic here. Please. Sar the sarcasm <laughs> and irony is rippling yeah. through the microphones. Oh yeah. Um, does anyone have any other things to add on? That the East India Company makes gin. <laughs> makes what? Oh. Gin. Gin. Gin? Oh, Gin. Okay. okay, sorry. I'm muting no, myself. <laughs> Zamuri, uh, when did he die? How long did he live for? Like, um, what did he just like live out his life with his? I boy? believe he was in the 60s, but let me quickly look. That's my like. How old was this dude fucker when he like the bucket? Uh, 61. 1961. Oh, okay. I thought uh, he was—he's only sixty-one. I was like, "Excuse oh, me." Oh no, he—he—he he, yeah, no. he was born in eighteen seventy-seven. I was gonna say, like, um, 
Yeah, man, man lived a life. Good for him. I mean, not good quite, for him, quite but... a <laughs> good for him. <laughs> but not, but not. Yeah, I mean, if oh. you look up his name, ninety percent of the pictures have him standing in front of bananas. Mm. Um, just the man. The man was the banana man. Um, oh, this actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is a picture of his gravesite that people put bananas on. Here we go. Mm. I, feel huh. I want to steal the bananas. Huh. For, um, some re- for some reason, peanut butter jelly times popped in my head, but with him being in the banana costume instead of Brian, just well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that could also pop in your head because of uh, the CIA operation PB success. Mm. <laughs> Listen, CIA, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, oh, telling you, it's just a crazy, crazy little bit of history that, yeah, we 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 as a country were totally okay with overthrowing a democratically elected person no. because fruit told us to. Hey, we go. <laughs> the- that. You say. One thing I'm saying: the country goes an extra mile for its consumers. I'm just can. telling you, you know, when when I find out that like the Jolly Green Giant had us like overthrow like like Malaysia or something, like I'm I'm just Vietnam. saying, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just saying, you know, it, that's gonna be that's gonna be the end of it for me. I don't know. That's the day my soul breaks. Okay, <sighs> uh, Derek. Out of curiosity, did you cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once an episode. Yeah, once an episode at least. But yeah, I haven't done it yet. So it's fine. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Come on. This might be a really stupid question, but there are no stupid questions. Only stupid answers. Fine, fair enough. But I don't know if this is something you came across in your research or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I had once heard that like the banana we have today is not. Like the banana has kind of gone through like an evolution from crops. Like, did did this colonization process have anything? Not colonization. Did this? Well, yes, yes, kind of. Still. Yes, uh, I know about this. But yes, yeah, um, yes. Um, the thing is, with how they were doing it, um, the banana that they were operating with mm-hmm. was not the one that we have today. That one right. is extinct because. Right. Of people like Samuri that saw, hey, people really like this banana. Then making entire plantations of just that crop. When you have such a refined thing that there is only one type of crop at all being made. Well, nature finds a way. And there was, I believe it was a fungus that was actually going through and destroying the crop because it ate that crop. So That's there was funny. a blight where this fungus just swept through, killed off all of that banana, and we still don't have it because it went extinct. Um, right, because I had heard that, that the banana of it's happening you know, the days again. of old. Is it? Yes, it is. So you know how like because, bananas? Yeah. So you know how um like banana flavoring doesn't taste like bananas? That's mm-hmm. what those bananas used to taste like. Really? The flavor mm-hmm. was invented um while they sell the old banana. 
Damn. Okay. That's really cool. All I'm saying is that over quarantine, I got really into candy making and there's this awesome guy in Florida that makes candy and he made a banana one and he goes into the history of like banana flavors and it's pretty interesting. (laughs) Pop that link up on the website. I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be cool. Okay, because I I had heard that that the bananas that we used to have did not look similar. They were either smaller or bigger. They didn't taste the same. You're looking right at the guy that's responsible pretty much for that entire banana strain going extinct. Did this crop prove to be more stable and growing or did it last? No, it's people liked it. That's it. Yeah, it like, tastes better. People really liked it, and he's like, damn, this is making me a lot of money. So sitting upon his throne of banana peels, he just went ahead and only made that, made him a lot of money, but that entire plant is no longer in existence. Oh, Dang. corporations. Oh, <laughs> extinction's only for animals, right? No, it's no. for plants. And what happens when you completely destroy ecosystems? Oh, you lose food as well? Fucker. I don't see it. No, you're lying. No. Nah. We Take have yours. to care about the environment. I can't what? live in a bubble. Hey, you're starting to talk like someone who doesn't like bananas. Don't do that. The ghost of Samuel Zamuri will come for you. <laughs> I actually, that... well, I I do like bananas. I love bananas. But... That and the CIA operative that's like, what do you say about our banana republics? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, here's another question. Uh... Totally left field, but how do you yep. go from something that has such an ominous existence to naming, and I'm sorry for anybody who shops there, I'm mm-hmm. not picking on you, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. to having a very overpriced high-end clothing store with the same How do you how do you go from having this be the Banana Republic? Like have, the actual yeah. store? Yeah, like how do you how do you come up like it like like did you find anything about that? Like why, it's a PR campaign. Is, I you, you I, I hope it's not a PR I have campaign. no clue because that because when you <laughs> it makes no sense. Because like way way back when when this topic was suggested for this month's episode i don't know mm-hmm. which one of us yeah who said it we're like wait are you talking about the clothing store or like no we, not the clothing sometimes we do like odd historical <laughs> yeah. things here i'm like wait mm. we talk about the clothing store or the actual banana republics oh yeah no the that. banana republics because yeah. that's pretty much what they were they they were countries completely founded on the principle of banana that's yeah. it Conspiracy theory, Banana Republic was meant to change the way we view the word Banana Republic. Yeah. Who knows? I I haven't done any uh, research into that, but um, we'll follow up. If if there's anyone out there that has an idea of why, please send it in to us so we can can figure that out. We really want to know. But those are, so yeah, those are just my thoughts. I've got nothing else. Like I said, like I said in response to Dave, um, it's sad and it's disgusting yeah. and it's not surprising. But mm. unfortunately, this is not the only place this happened. Hey, <laughs> you know, we got bananas for it though. Oh yeah. <laughs> the one thing that keeps popping into my mind is, especially when we think about America, especially in the the Cold War era, is that. People weren't fighting against democracy. They're fighting against the corporations that 
back the United States and the U.S. backed back. So it wasn't always the ideals, but it was who the players and financiers were. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, this adds in that other element. Like, no, nah, you know, some of these people liked America and like the ideals that are in our constitution and everything. It's just the companies that we, that the government supports and the, the companies that support the government derail and poison that entire image at points in time. And by points in time, I mean like 20th actually, century and beyond. I do actually have one last little thing um, because I, I was reading something from the New York Times on this. Um, and it's kind of kind of crazy to think about. Um, uh, if, are we are we all good? Because this will be like the last little thing I think I'll we'll we'll say. Um, right as United Fruit and the CIA had taken out our bins, there was a a young Argentine traveler uh, who was happened to be in the country at the time named Che Guevara. Yo, I know that name. Um, <laughs> and after witnessing the events, he told his mother that he had left the path of reason. Um, literally seeing the people overthrown by, you know, a corporation and corporate greed sent him down the path that he eventually went to. So it's just kind of funny that by overthrowing a democratically elected leader, they might have fueled one of the largest socialist movements in the Americas that have ever existed purely off of that one possibility because the fruit company told them so. Just for anybody out there who doesn't know that name, could you please tell them who that is? Uh, Che. Che is a a very large name uh, within within the the entire circle of uh, socialist and uh, Marxist um, ideals. Uh, He was a Argentine Marxist revolutionary. He, He wanted the entirety of like a large part of, if not all of South and Central America to kind of rise up and take charge against people like the Vicaro bros, like United Fruit Company because of his youth growing up and seeing all this stuff happen to plantation uh, workers and especially to people like Arbenz that was democratically elected and then overthrown by a company. Um, Che was a very prominent figure in that. And it is possibly likely that seeing Arbenz overthrown by the CIA, which of course he wouldn't have known the CIA was involved at any point because that only came out more recently, but seeing a company pretty much overtake an entire country, he yeah, he wanted to be rid of that, you know? It's 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 kind of funny that in in the effort of stamping out socialism and communism, they might have fueled more fire than they could ever put out, you know? It's kind of ironic. Just uh, 
And I think that's uh that's the note we'll end on. <laughs> so who wants to uh do the uh the send off? I think it's me. Does anybody else have anything to say before I Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We appreciate all of our listeners and the support that we have received from all of you. Please rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It's a very small and simple thing that you can do that helps us out in a really big way. The more reviews we get and the more likes we get, the more people get to hear us. If you would like to interact with us, there are several ways that you can do that. You can reach us at our Twitter, at Operation Hist. Once again, that is at Operation H-I-S-T. And it is very active. You will mainly be acting, interacting with Lauren as she is the one who runs it. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> you can shoot us an email at our Gmail, Operation History Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's Operation History Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns reviewing, uh, I'm sorry, any questions, comments, or concerns pertaining to this episode or other episodes, let us know. Tell us what's working and what's not. Or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, we are always open to hear what you guys have to say. Or lastly, you can view us on our website, operationhistorypodcast.wordpress.com. Once again, that is operationhistorypodcast.wordpress.com. It needs to be updated. We know it does. We'll Wait. get there. Yeah. It's basically updated. Oh, you updated it? it I just have to update um, the Ender one because I'm not sure what to put for Anyway, but we'll get there. It's pretty okay. updated. Look at you go. See, ladies and gentlemen, we're only a month behind now on updating the website. So see, we're almost there. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode. It has been our pleasure to once again come together and present this information. And this is Operation History signing off. Bye. 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 Operation History has no association with any of the institutions or organizations mentioned in this podcast. The views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent any academic institutions, organizations, or companies that they currently work for or attend or that they have previously worked for or attended in the past. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for Operation History. Hold on, wait. Mar hey, Maria. Yeah. What were the pilgrims' favorite kind of music? What? I'm scared. With rock. You know, I thought it was going to be something about corn, but that's better. Yeah, yeah. I, I really thought it was going to be the band Corn. Yeah, I was. I was trying to find a way to like go there mentally, and then I'm like, let me just say what.
Yeah, I thought you were just going to say corn. Well, <laughs> yeah. there's two um, windmills sitting in the field. And one says to the other, what's your favorite kind of music? And the other one says, I'm a big metal fan. <laughs> yeah. Right, now we can start. Whoa. Now that I just have no motivation at all to do anything. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> all, yeah. of, all of the joy has been joined, like, drawn for my life. <laughs> Thank Lauren you, Lauren. always knows how to inspire us. That's uh, what I strive to do every day. This is why I want to, I, like, went for my education degree. I just want to suck joy out of life. You need an education degree to do that? To do it professionally. It helps. It helps. Um, I, comrade, I did have a question, and then I forgot it, and now I, <laughs> if it comes back to me, it comes back to me. Um, oh, what, when did, uh, well, so what happened? Uncomrades, un I'm the one who edits. Um, uh, fuck, when's the money? 